We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Are there any questions arising from that teaching series? Or any feedback, maybe? Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be a question, but maybe, maybe you have a feedback or something. There's a question. Okay. Ask it. Good evening, everyone. Okay, well, my question is coming from, um, from Hebrews when Paul said, um, if someone falls away, it is impossible to restore such a one back. And when you explained that, you said, yeah, someone might no longer be in the Christian faith, but this person's salvation was not taken from the person I... I don't seem to get that point, so I, I want you to throw more light on it. Hebrews 6, right? Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. This is the text, right? Because it was two texts. It was Hebrews 2 that had how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation, right? And then it was Hebrews 6. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. We established from the elements in verse 4 that, you know, the the argument has always been that this, this text could not be referring to believers, Right? That's the general text. But if you look at it carefully in verse 4, go back to verse 4. It says, for it's impossible for those who were once enlightened, that's the first element, and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. An unbeliever cannot be said to be a partaker of the Holy Spirit. right? And have tasted the good word of God and have tasted the powers of the age to come. If they fall away. That's the first problem. That you would taste all this. Partake of all this. And fall away. But what have they fallen away from? Have they fallen away from salvation? Because if it were. The word that would have been there. Would have been the word to renew them again. To salvation. Let's look at the, the text, just for what the text says. Is that, is that all right? And it's important in the right division of truth to consider the text right for what the text says first. Right? If it was a falling away in the sense of losing their salvation, it would have said to renew them again to salvation or renew them again to faith. Right? Or renew them again to the Lord. But it says renew them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying the Lord again a second time. In other words, denying or or, 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 the word is not abdicating. 
but downplaying, as it were, what he has done and putting him back on the cross as though sin is required to be paid for again. But he doesn't state that they are being fall, fall, or they are falling away from the faith, from salvation. That calls into question our understanding or into focus, our understanding of repentance in itself. What is repentance? That's why some people will believe that John preached the gospel. If he preached the gospel, the apostles will not have corrected those guys when he said, into what were you baptized? And they said into John's baptism. And he said, no, no, that's not, that's not good enough. Right? Because John baptized for repentance. Now you would have thought that salvation is gotten by repentance. Hello? Repentance in the way that we have made it, made it, how's what I'm looking for? In the way that we have yeah, made people comprehend it in English. Make sense? Repent and be baptized. Does repentance save Because if he did, again, he would not have said, why are you stuck on John's baptism? It's like you're at the door, you're at the signpost. John baptized for repentance. This dude is what baptized for salvation with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So come on on here. And John made very clear that he didn't come to offer anybody salvation for sins. He made clear that he was the voice of the one in the wilderness making straight the way of the Lord. John never claimed to provide any solution for sin. John didn't herald the kingdom. He heralded the one who was bringing the kingdom. John's assignment pointed to Jesus. Jesus not as finished work, but Jesus as coming to do the work and finish it. Does that make sense? And that's why his ministry effectively terminated when Jesus showed up. And he, John, identified Jesus by the Holy Spirit, John chapter 1. Because it was the Holy Spirit that enabled John to identify Jesus. Because that's all he had been preaching about. Behold the Lamb of God who takes, John didn't preach the taking away of sins. What did he preach? Repentance. What, what, what was repentance? If repentance was changing from wrongdoing, then John preached the gospel, which he didn't. Because if John had preached, change from your sins and received the Lord, there was no need for him to preach the coming of Jesus to take away sin. Can we reason together? Does that make sense? If John was preaching, repent, and be saved and let your sins be washed away as you are baptized, then there was no need for him to be waiting for Jesus to take away sin. Because John, John's message in itself should have been dealing with the sin problem. But John's message was not dealing with the sin problem. John's message was dealing with the mindset of the people to receive the one who would deal with the sin problem. 
So repentance in the original language is to have a change of mind, a change of reasoning, not to have your sins removed. That is salvation. Does that make sense? Now, if you never doubted the ability of a person or doubted the, what's the word now? Let me use the word history of a person or doubted doubted the, the genealogy of a person. You don't need to repent about them. Jews needed repentance because they had a warped perspective of Jesus. They still do to a large extent. So in in order to receive the benefits of salvation, even today, Jews need to repent in how they see Jesus. Does that make sense? John's message is still relevant for them today. So repentance sets you up, changes your mind, changes the direction in which your perspective is going in order for you to receive what you have been positioned to receive. Does that make sense? Now, somebody has tasted the heavenly gift. We're back to Hebrews 6. Somebody has partaken of the Holy Spirit. Somebody has partaken of the powers of the age to come. Someone has, uh, what have I missed? What have I missed? Tasted of the word, the good word of God, right? All those elements in Hebrews 6. And then they wake up and they go, you know what? I am doing again. Case in point. Two cases in point in this room. Elders, Takim and Fred. All they've tasted. Now say, you know what? I'm not doing it again. Do you understand how much? That's where the phrase, even if it didn't exist, it will exist because of them. That phrase, special grace of God. How are you about to preach to Fred to re-receive Jesus? How are you about to reconvince Takin that Jesus is the only way to the Father? It is impossible, pretty much, to bring them again to what? To change their mind about their perspective about this thing, about their perspective about this person. Does that make sense? So they've abdicated, as it were, on their understanding or on their, shall I say for lack of a better word, believing of what God did in Christ. You know what, I'm not doing this Jesus thing again, right? And you're serious. Does God drop you because you said I'm not doing it again? We established that in the series. And the answer is no. He doesn't. Because Peter said I'm not doing it again. And God refused. Because no one can take them out of my hands. And it would be unwise, it would be Incomplete if that no one doesn't include you. Or else you'd have said, no one can take them out of my hands except he that walked into my hands by himself who can then walk out of. We don't have such special clauses in our salvation. 
That's why I repeated here over and over that salvation is given on, at owner's risk. The owner does not accept refunds or returns. It's salvation. So you are saved by no effort of yours. You are preserved by no effort of yours. Do you know how many times you have said that God will punish you? Do you know if you took it seriously for blasphemy or for calling the name of God in vain? You should be dead. The amount of times that you made a pledge and said, God, if I do this thing, kill me. Lift your hand if you have done it. Lift your other hand if you have done it some more. Lift your legs if you have done it some more. I'm sure if I said lift your toes and fingers and lift your teeth or everything out. Father, if I do this thing one more time, take my life from me. Don't allow me to do it. If I do it, kill me, you consuming fire. But you did it. And he didn't kill you. Because he killed the only Adam that needed to be killed for the sins of the world. Not because he can't kill you. But because his killing wrath is satisfied fully in Christ. Fully. He only kills for justice. Not for fun. He's not a sport. He's not a hunter. You know, religion paints him as a hunter looking for who to kill. And so by the time you paint God like that and Satan is as a roaring lion seeking for whom, lion seeking for whom to devour, what's the difference between your God and Satan? Because God, your God is even more bloodthirsty than Satan. One sleep up, God has murdered you. Killed you. It's also not that kind of time. Love is patient, but not God. Who is love, but is not patient. Are you getting the picture? So we must be careful to not limit the scope of what God did in Christ to your approval or disapproval of it. Do we understand? And this is where right division of truth is very key. I told you in this house, in that teaching series, you are saved by grace. You are not saved by faith. Your faith was not required for Jesus to die. He didn't wait for even the Jews to repent before Jesus died. Jesus came, preached his gospel, went around and went and died. He didn't wait for repentance. People that were supposed to repent, guess what they were screaming? Crucify him. You are shedding innocent blood. Eh, his blood be upon us and all our children. And they didn't know that they were prophesying justification and propitiation upon all the generations of the earth. They thought they were speaking condemnation. They forgot that the blood they were about to shed was promised in Hebrews that it speaks better things than the blood of Abel. So they were prepared to kill Jesus and bear the consequences. They just they had no idea that the consequences were justification by faith. 
They had no idea that the consequences were now we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. They had no idea that that consequences was now we have the righteousness of God in Christ. They thought, yes, God, after we have, after we have successfully killed Jesus, if you want to kill us and our children, kill us and our children. If only they knew that they and their children were killed when he was killed. How is that for repentance? So he didn't wait for repentance. He didn't wait for them to believe that he would save them for him to die. I mean, can you imagine? He's on the cross and they're screaming, he saved others. He cannot. Pilate, who was a Roman, typed on the plaque, this is the king of the Jews. A Roman king. The Jews, the priests, stopped Pilate and said, you cannot put that up. Have you seen it in your Bible? They said, don't put that up. Put that this is he who says... Pilate acknowledged him as king of the Jews. Pilate was de facto king of that entire territory. And he acknowledged Jesus as king of the Jews. And the Jews themselves said, no, he's not our king. He just said he is. And he still went and died. Woke up without their repentance and said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. Jews first. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation from his wrath and punishment to everyone who believes in Christ as Savior, to the Jew first. What did the Jew do to make him first in line? He didn't even believe. You see, we have probably never paid attention to that Jew first. To the Jew first. And then to the Greek. They believed not. But they are first in line for it. So it's not a function of their believing after all. They did not repent. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to them who repent not. So where's your self-repentance in the equation? If repentance is in relation to sin. So the message of John was repentance is getting you to change. That's why it is believers now that repent. We have been saved. We, We need to repent. We need to change our minds about how we see what Christ has done. How we see who Christ is. And fashion our lives in accordance with our belief. Now if someone who believed and has tasted the heavenly gift and has tasted the good word of God and gets up and says, you know what, I'm tired of this thing, I ain't doing no more. Does that make the person lost? If it makes the person lost, then the person's foundness was a result of their believing. If at the point you say, I'm not doing again, you got lost. It means that your doing was necessary to keep you in the first place. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even the point that I said, you know what? Mm-mm. This Jesus thing, I'm done. I'm tired. Life has been unkind to me. I go a fishing. And then God also goes, ah, after all, only that endures to the end. So I'll be saved. You have not endured to the end. So go your way. It means that it was your works that saved you in the first place. It means that God factored in what you would do to, to
to aid in his preservation of you. It means that Christ has not been your preservative. Your works was your preservative. And the moment you introduce that into the faith equation, into the salvation equation, you cannot have this mindset at the same time have the mindset of by grace alone. Yeah? Romans 11 and 6, I believe. Romans 11, 6. But if it is by grace, it, go on, is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. It will not be a gift anymore, but a reward for works. Give us the New King James. The New King James turns the converse part. It gives us the other end. Yeah. And if it's by grace, then it's no longer of works. Go on. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, it can't be called work when there's grace at work in it. Yeah? And it can't be called grace when there's work at work in it. Do you understand? Grace with a sprinkling of works is no longer grace. Works with a sprinkling of grace is no longer works. It's either works or grace. You, ca- you cannot be saved by a combination of the two. That hybrid does not exist. Does that make sense? I've said over and over, God did not borrow anything from the old dispensation to enact the new. He didn't. The old is retired. It faded away. Faded away, clear cut. If you understand scripture, you see Matthew 17, you see there the Mount of Transfiguration. You see the law represented by Moses. You see the prophet represented by Elijah, who was the greatest of the prophets until John. And you see them and you see the Lord, God appear and speak and say, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. And you think that, oh, it was just them seeing glory. No, it was them seeing a shift of glory. Do you understand? The glory of the law and the glory of the prophets being collapsed into the glory of the son. That's what Hebrews says means in chapter 1. And verse 1, God in sundry times in various ways who in time past spoke to our fathers through the prophets has now in these latter times spoken to us through his outgo law, outgo prophets, enter the son. That's what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was a button change. It wasn't just, oh, glory, let's build house here. Oh, it's so cute. See Jesus white, see his, his flaky beard. Let's, oh, wow, look at Shekinah. It was a button change. Because at that point, the law and the prophets collapsed into the sun. So if the law must speak now, it must speak in the light of the sun. If the prophets must speak now, they must speak in the light of the sun. Otherwise, they have nothing to say. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Does that make sense? So if it's grace, it's grace. If it's works, it's works. There's no hybrid of the two. If I can say I'm not doing and I'm off then it means that something I was doing was what kept me in. It is what he's done that keeps me in. Do you understand? He didn't need me to do anything. He didn't need me to believe. Otherwise, you cannot be said that salvation, that brings the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. You should exclude those who did not repent. Come on, talk to me in this room. Don't look at me funny. Wait, wait, this is a Bible study. It cannot say, if, uh, Titus chapter 2 and chapter 3, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to who? It cannot say in 2 Corinthians 5 that God was in Christ reconciling who? The world to him. It cannot say that. If there's a human factor involved. 
If there's something somebody has to do, then there have to be exemption clauses. There have to be clauses that exempt a portion of people who have not repented. Is there such a clause? No. Oh, you can choose what you do with what he has done, but you cannot undo what he has done. You can choose to not act saved. You can choose to not behave saved. You can choose to do whatever you like and kill yourself. That's your problem. But the grace that brings salvation appears to all men. It leaves no one out. There's no one who is not part of the elect. Does that make sense? Now what draws you into the benefits of salvation is your believing. The benefits of salvation. Your believing. Does that make sense? So you are saved by grace. You are justified by faith. Your consciousness of my... Let me use myself. My consciousness of my clean slate before God and my ability to walk in it is activated by my believing. Does that make sense? Because yes. he can have wiped my sins clean and I refuse to see that I'm guiltless. Yes. Imagine the so-called prodigal son in Luke 15. Arguing, your father is telling him, my friend, bring a, a, a jacket. Wear on him. Bring my ring. Put on him. My son was dead. He's now alive. My son was lost. He's now f- Imagine the boy standing there. Daddy, you're not hearing what I'm saying. I said I'm not worthy now. Can't you look at me? Can't you see? I've been with pigs. I stink. I squandered all your money. I said I don't qualify. Everybody else could possibly call. Imagine that you're standing there and arguing with your father who tells you that. That's on his back. That's what a lot of us do as believers. Who don't have enough faith. Who don't have faith or who don't activate our faith or appropriate our faith to cash in on our justification. He sees you as faultless and you see yourself as with blame. Who's to blame for that? So Romans 5 and 1 says, therefore being justified by faith. By what are you saved? Grace. How are you justified? Does that make sense? And so you get up and you say, you know what? I'm not doing it again. He ain't leaving you. He can't. He must present you faultless. Because it's a finished work, but it's not all finished in time. Do you understand what I just said? The work is finished. Jesus screamed at the last time, not just for time. For time into the day of the Lord. Do you understand? Time into eternity. So it's finished, but the play out of what is finished is ongoing. Do you understand? Your salvation is complete, but it is not complete. And and that's why people start to preach about how you get saved and leave salvation and go on to other things. You do not understand that all those other things you are going on to are part of your ongoing salvation. Until he presents us for, remember the analogy I gave you about the, about the convocation? Yeah? Remember that analogy during Soteria? How he presents you before the Father? Until he does so, anything short of presenting you before the Father on the day of the Lord is Jesus failing in his salvation, it is finished. Do you hear what I just said? Anything short of him presenting you faultless. What he died for was to present you faultless, not just to leave you on the earth without sin or with sin. What he died for was to present you before the Father faultless at the end of this journey. Until that's done, the finished work is still in play. It's finished in the sense that God is not doing anything right now. Does that make sense? But it's ongoing in the sense that all of this is part of his play to present you before the Father on the day of the Lord. Because he must present you as a bride. He must. And there's no shadow he won't light up. There's no mountain he won't climb up. In that quest 
to ensure that no matter what it takes to keep you wooed until you meet his father, he's going to do it. Does that make sense? He's going, to, he's going to do it. He's going to stretch you. He's going to forgive you. He's going to chastise you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to teach you. He's going to instruct you. He's going to reprove you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to provide your needs. He's going to supply you. He's going to protect you. He's going to preserve you. Whatever it takes, he must give a bride to his father. That is the assurance of salvation. That it is his work that he's doing. He's going to finish it. Whether I like it or not. Whether I say I'm no longer interested. Because his love is long-suffering. He's not loving me because of what I'm doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not, he didn't fall in love with me because I, I had prospects. He just fell in love with me for love's sake. And so on the earth, I might struggle with somebody. I might struggle with getting them to understand the benefits of salvation. It doesn't make them less saved than me. Understand it now. It doesn't make them less saved. You believed. You once believed. Once, ah, you are saved. You can't run away from it. You are too saved to give it up. We will have a hard time convincing you on the earth that, bros, you're not not thinking straight. Because if you woke up and your mind told you that you're tired of the Jesus thing, your mind has gotten messed up. Your mind. Your mind has gone apostate. What did I say? What happened? Your mind. Can we say your mind? Can we say your mind? Because repentance happens in the realm of the mind. Repentance is not spiritual. Are you following me gently? Repentance happens where? In the realm of the mind. That's why it means change your mind. Metanoia in the Greek. Have a change of mind. Have a change of perception. Where does that happen? In the mind. Where does that happen? Where does that happen? Where does that happen? Where does that happen? Where did salvation happen? So how can what happens in the mind cancel what happens in the spirit? Saints who were saved and were called saints still had stupid minds. And Paul was writing to them to train their minds like you would train a dog with new tricks. Their dirty minds did not make them less saints. Oh, come on, talk to me now. If the Romans had beautiful minds, Paul would not have written to them to say, ah, come on, guys, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If the Ephesians were all beautiful in their thinking, he would not have told them in chapter 4, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If the Philippians had everything on lockdown, he told them, let this mind which was in Christ Jesus also be in you. He was highlighting issues in the church. And all the issues happen in the realm of the mind because the spirit is immediately perfect at the point of being saved. Your spirit doesn't get improved. Does that make sense? It doesn't. Your spirit doesn't get improved. So we must be careful what we call revival because a man's spirit cannot be revived. A man's body can be revived, can be quickened by the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead. So the Holy Spirit is all the revival a believer needs. Does it make sense? So we are saved by justified by faith. And you don't walk away from it because it's his work. He's not done yet. Oh, come on, man. Ephesians 1. 
1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 15, Ephesians 4, all refer to the Holy Spirit as a guarantee or as a deposit. Excuse me, if all the payment is complete, why do we need a guarantor? Why is the Holy Spirit guaranteeing you until the day of cashing out? If Jesus has finished saving you. Remember, he's the seal of your salvation. Not just seal, but it's sealed towards an appointed day, towards the day of redemption. And that day is not today. That day is not the day you were saved. So if it's up to you now to see if you can make that day, or up to you to see how you, if you can make heaven, why did God put a deposit in you to bind himself to your salvation? Let's talk in legal terms. So God is saving you. That's why Paul says that he's able to save to the uttermost. Do you understand? So the Holy Spirit in you, God's bond to God to finish what he started. Do you hear what I said? The Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is God's bond to God to finish what he started. God cannot change his mind about presenting you to himself as long as the Holy Spirit is inside you. That's why he cannot leave. That's why Jesus promised he will abide with you forever. Not abide with you to the measure that you're a good boy. <laughs> Does that make sense? So he is God's guarantee. I am going to do this. You go to a place, you make a deposit, your thing doesn't work, or you have a balance to pay, you drop your phone. As a guarantee for the day of payback. The day you will come and pay, you collect your phone. Does that make sense? If you don't come, then your phone is sold in lieu of your debt and is made up anyway. Does that make sense? So God saves you. He is saving you. He's going to save you. And just in case the enemy feels like, ah, or even you feel like, ah, you know what? He then drops the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee that I'm going to come and pay this thing on the, on the day of the Lord. So why are you afraid of the last day? When he has already deposited what he will, the guarantee that he will come and finish paying. You're trying to make heaven as if it's just to make. That's why I told you here that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not forever. Do you understand it now? Because on that day he will come and pay the finishing thing, give you to the Father, collect back Holy Spirit. Us, Holy Spirit and God become one. Do you understand now? So that, that day that some of you are afraid of, it's just a day of, of final payout. Where Jesus takes me to the Father and says, you know what, that, this is that thing I've been working on from the creation, from the foundation of the world. I did that bit in time, but I did that in time and then I also deposited me. I mean, you. <laughs> Us. Inside him. So that now we have to come back and pay and finish paying because it's us that I deposited in full. So now I have brought us to you. Now take us out of him and let him, us now be him. And him now be us. And we with you are one. Until that day. Don't doubt your salvation. Until that day. That's the day salvation is complete. In its eternal term. <laughs> do, do you understand what I'm saying? In its eternal term, it's, in its full sense, that's the day it's complete. When the deposit is, is taking the guarantees is, and then the cash out is complete. But I have the Holy Spirit. No, I, no, I, I cannot be lost. Even if I open my mouth 
and say, from today henceforth, I renounce my throne of Zamunda. From today, I am no longer prince of Zamunda. The next time he showed up, they sprinkled rose petals in his front. He just dis- dis- denounced his throne and came down. The woman said, if you're a prince, I'll marry you. Because she still saw a prince. He denounced it. And don't tell me, oh, Hakim didn't mean to denounce it. He, oh, yeah? Have you seen songs of Solomon? Love is as strong as death. It's in your Bible. It's power as strong as the grave. Many waters cannot quench love. So you don't come and stand and tell me, oh, oh, Hakim didn't mean it. He didn't mean for them to take whatever it took to get Lisa's love. He was willing to do. And he, genu- I mean, he had, he had lived all of his American life in Queens as a peasant anyway. It would have been very difficult. So he really did abdicate his throne. He did. I like to bring these analogies home to if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Then it's God that will now say, well, I heard you saying I abdicate my sonship. From today, I am no longer son of the most high God. And God will look at you and say, look at you, stupid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, boy. That you will go what? As if you can go. Go and do what? How far? To to survive how? My friend? That's how his love passes understanding. Ephesians 3. That's why Paul prayed that you can just get a glimpse into this love that you cannot understand. Because I have a major problem with a God that my earthly father performs better than. I have a major problem. I don't need a God in my life. I don't. I don't. If when I was in trouble, my earthly father could have easily leveraged on all my weaknesses. I say this one is a lost cause. He has a lost cause. Ignore him. Look at me. Even though I deserve nothing but ridicule and shame. But my intercessor was bigger than me. Then now I'm in trouble. And I, my, my heavenly father will then pull away from me. And say, no, I, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with him. He will taint my righteousness. He will taint my holiness. He will, he, will, he will mess up my purity. Whatever you want to do with him, just I'm, I'm tired of him. There's no way, no way that my earthly father can outperform my heavenly father. I refuse that God. No, it's no way. So I remind myself of all the times that my father stood with me. I remind myself. And I realize that that's my heavenly father is just too dope to let me go. It ain't going to happen. Just ain't going to happen. Just ain't going to happen. And so we must be careful to not interpret his love and his work on account of what we do or don't do. You see, you're not saved because you made a confession. Are you hearing me? You're not saved because you said, come into my heart. That's not what saved you. Of his own loving kindness, he says in Titus. His own grace, his own love, his own mercy. Somebody say his own. His own. Nothing to do with yours. 
that your confession didn't save you, it can now unsave you. Uh, if you pray that prayer with, with a genuine heart, you are now saved. Hey, yeah. If you just said that sinner's prayer right now, if you said it from your heart, you are now saved. No, sir. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You are not now saved. You have since stay been saved. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. People that have tasted that thing and abdicate and say, you know what, I'm not doing again. It's, it's going to be a hard work to bring those guys to repentance. It's going to be difficult. But it doesn't in any way in that text suggest that they have been thrown out of salvation. To suggest that would be to exegete that scripture. It would be to read into the scripture what the scripture doesn't say. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't. Does that put paid to that? Do we understand that? Is it very clear now? This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.